Amen. You can be seated. And if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to the book of Acts. We'll be there in just a moment. I wanted to uh, let some of you who might have missed last week know that we're starting a new series that'll carry us for quite a while, all the way through the summer. And we're going to study the book of Acts, not just for the history of it, although there's a lot of fun history and adventure, and not just for sort of the potential prescriptions of like what we ought to do based on what they did in Acts, but we're going to look at Acts primarily as an example of the kind of things that God can do when we say yes to him. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, what does it mean? What can we expect? And, and the truth is, we can expect to have extraordinary lives. We can expect that what we do, what we prioritize, what we experience will be a lot different than what would have been the case had the Holy Spirit never been a part of our lives. So we're framing the, the, the series in Acts uh, about, all about how the Holy Spirit within us makes a difference. And so to begin, I'd like you to close your eyes for just a second and imagine with me your life without the Holy Spirit's presence. What would it be like? it's possible that you would say, wow, without the Holy Spirit in my life, everything would be different. It would just be me. I wouldn't have power from God. I wouldn't have that close, intimate relationship with God. It could be, though, that um, as a lot of church-going people might, you would have a little bit of trouble with that imagination because you would say, well, I I academically believe the Holy Spirit is a part of my life, but I don't actually know what he's doing, or why he's there, or if he's impacting my life that much. So the book of Acts is going to show us what it means to be filled, empowered, and dwelled by the Holy Spirit. And we won't answer all of that today. This is just the second part in a multi-week series, but we're going to start, un- we're going to start unpacking through the stories of what happened to the first Christians, what the Holy Spirit actually means to us, and what we can expect God to do when we yield to him, when we actually keep in step with him, when we follow him. Now, the book of Acts, as we talked about last week, was written by Luke. He was a Christian doctor who was personally involved in the early church. So as we get later into the book of Acts, some of it will come out in first person because the first half of the story, Luke wasn't a part of it. So he's reporting back on what happened to others. But toward the very end, he starts using personal pronouns because he also was involved in some of the stories that occurred toward the end of the book. And our premise for the whole series is that although the book of Acts is written and closed and it's a part of the Bible, the story of Acts isn't actually finished. The story of Acts began when Jesus rose from the dead and gave the Holy Spirit to his followers, to those first disciples. They started a movement that is still changing the world right now. And so we have, in a way, the first book of a many book series of what God is doing through people who say yes to him, through people who follow the Holy Spirit. So we have the story of the first 30 years, essentially, in the book of Acts in our Bible. And then from there, now we're all a part of the continuing story 2,000-something years later. And what God does in your life are more acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the acts of the Christians in this generation are, the, are essentially what's writing the story for churches and mission movements across the world. And all of that sounds really interesting and exciting, 
the core question for each one of us to ask as we walk through all of this is, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within me? We don't want to leave the book of Acts without having a real answer to that question. Because it's not enough to just say, yes, the Spirit was active long ago and far away. In what way is the Holy Spirit active here and now with you? So we'll go to Acts chapter 1, verse 12, and we'll pick up reading right where we left off. As I mentioned last week, our plan in this series is we're going to read out loud in church every verse of the book of Acts. It's actually a pretty long book. That's why it's going to take us a little while. Uh, We won't necessarily parse out and preach every single verse, but we're going to read every verse and then zoom in on the parts where we learn about how the Holy Spirit is at work. Okay, so we're starting chapter 1, Jesus ascends to heaven, he gives the great commission, he says, you're going to be my witnesses all across the world. The disciples are supposed to wait in Jerusalem for the gift that Jesus had promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we pick up the story, chapter 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of about half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. That's not the bad Judas, that was the other one. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scripture had to be fulfilled concerning Judas who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David, Judas was one of us, and he shared in this ministry with us. Judas, this is Judas Iscariot, by the way, had bought a field with the money he received from his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out all of his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akeldama, which means field of blood. Peter continued, This was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. They all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he deserted us and he's gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. So remember, at this time, there were many people following Jesus. There were many people who were disciples, and that number would continue to grow. But there, there was a special sort of seat at the table for the original 12, the people that Jesus had poured into, and that's the seat that needed to be essentially replaced in their leadership structure. So Matthias is chosen to be the next leader. 
Now, was that a significant decision in the early church? Sure. Now, there's not actually any more information about that particular apostle after this point. So we don't know where Matthias exactly went, at least not in the biblical account, what happened to him next. But the much more significant thing was about to happen. Now that the leadership structure was you know, kind of fixed and put back together, now it's time to see how Jesus is going to fulfill his promise, that something special is going to happen. There's going to be power that's going to be delivered that in some way is going to give the disciples the ability to turn Christianity into a movement, into a global movement. Say, well, what will that look like? Chapter 2, verse 1. On the first day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And Pentecost was a feast that they would celebrate annually. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. Everyone who was present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So you've got this big feast of Pentecost. The city is full of pilgrims from all over the place. And what, what better time to start spreading the gospel than right here where all of these people who were devout Jews, like they were devout enough to the law of Moses to actually make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem and be a part of this special feast. Okay, so that's a pretty big deal. That would have required for many of them days of travel, maybe weeks of travel. They're all in Jerusalem. The, the Holy Spirit knows, like these are the people who are going to help carry the gospel and spread it like seed planters all across the world these are the most faithful. And so what better group to infuse uh, an encounter with God into so that they can go back to all of their places where they came from and start sharing the gospel. So the thing that got their attention was here you have some fishermen and tax collectors and other kind of random assortment of people, disciples, that suddenly can perfectly speak the languages of their heart. So they knew that's miraculous. That would not have been common. They didn't have Google Translate. They didn't have some sort of AI to translate all the words for them. Uh, this, was, this was miraculous in every way. Uh, and so as they start running and going, hey, something special's happening, they're speaking in our language. Peter realizes there's a moment here, and he's about to get up and share the gospel with this whole crowd. Okay, so it says they were completely amazed. Verse 7. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas around Libya, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages and about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Which I don't know about you. I don't hang around people who are drunk that often personally, but I don't know that drunken people speak more clearly in languages they don't know 
as a normal pattern of what that means. So they're obviously making excuses. Like there's people who don't want to believe that what Christianity is is something special. So they're looking for any excuse to dismiss what's going on. But the people who have eyes to see and ears to hear, they realize a miracle is happening. Now, part of the miracle was that the disciples could speak other languages, right? But what were they speaking about? They were telling about all the amazing things that had just happened, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And so that allowed all of these people to know not only did amazing things happen in Jerusalem, but God wanted them to know personally what was happening. That's why he spoke directly to them. I think that's so exciting to think about, that God was planning all along for all of these people to sort of join in the witness of his power so that the gospel could get this jump start spreading across the world. Now, we're going to back up for a minute and think about what the Holy Spirit was doing in this moment and why his coming was so significant. So first of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Some people refer to the Holy Spirit more like a what is the Holy Spirit, like a, like a spirit or a force or something. But throughout the whole scripture, we see the Holy Spirit given to us as a person, actually the third person of the Trinity. So we have the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And so all three of those, if you read a Christian doctrine book, a theology book, you would see people lay out the case that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in power, and somehow, miraculously, they are one God, but three persons. And I don't claim to understand that. I'm sure throughout the book of Acts, we'll encounter that thought a few times. Uh, But the Holy Spirit is right there. The Holy Spirit isn't just coming from God as sort of power or force or something. The Holy Spirit is God, but now not in the personified way of Jesus, like the, the, the way of, you know, Jesus came to us as a, as a human being. The Holy Spirit is coming to actually dwell inside of our souls and empower us for God's mission. So the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. He had told his disciples over and over again, hey, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you a teacher. I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to give you power so that you can resist what's evil and go forward for what's good. And when Jesus said that to the disciples, they didn't know exactly what he meant, but here now they know, right? The Holy Spirit comes, there's all this supernatural power, they're able to start communicating the gospel to people, and even in languages they don't know. Uh, This is the, the empowerment for action that they needed. The Holy Spirit is also our empowerment for action. That just as those first disciples were given this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit, Now everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is also given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so you have, you have to wrap your mind around this, you have just as much of the Holy Spirit's power at your disposal as those first disciples did. You have everything that God offers to a Christian inside of you. If you're following Jesus, he's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, to what extent you keep in step with him, to what extent your daily life is filled with the Holy Spirit versus filled with other things, some of that's a decision you'll make as you walk through life. But the power is there. You're empowered for what God wants you to do. That's why I look at the book of Acts, not just as history, but as an example. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life just like he was at work then. So if the Holy Spirit needs to do something miraculous through you to get his work done, do you think he can do it? Of course he can. 
If the Holy Spirit wants to empower you for life transformation so that you have an amazing testimony of freedom and, tra- and change, yes, the Holy Spirit can do that. If the Holy Spirit needs to give you the, some sort of gift so that you can communicate or help others, absolutely you can do that. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians, as this starts to develop, we see Paul explaining to a church, hey, the Holy Spirit actually gifts every believer in various ways. And so all of us are touched by the Holy Spirit, empowered by Him for the action that God calls us to. And this would be the way that God's power would multiply globally. Okay, so this is really important. And the fact that some people miss it is really sad because as much as Jesus is the key to understanding the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the story of redemption, the Holy Spirit is the key to understanding your Christian life. And if the Holy Spirit isn't a part of your Christian life, or at least you're not conscious of that, probably you're missing some of the power that's on the table for you. So the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost marked the beginning of the Christian movement. If you, if you ever happen to attend a Bible or theology class or a survey, there's actually a, there's some debate among thinkers about when you, when you would actually say the church started, right? Some of you are aware of this. Some people would say the church started when Jesus called his first disciples together, because that was the first gathering, right? Other people would say, no, the church started when Peter declared that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, and Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Um, Some people say the church started here at Pentecost. Some people say the church started when Balaam's donkey was first given the gift of human speech. No no one says that. You guys are believing me here. You've got to test some of this. No, nobody thinks that. Uh, But here here we, we could, I think we could agree with this, all right? The, the Christian movement began at Pentecost. That is, the ability for this to start spreading like wildfire, that started this day. And so, how do we know that? Like, what started to happen? Well, obviously, there was this miracle, and people started hearing the gospel in their own languages. But then we noticed that formerly disappointed and doubtful disciples were transformed into world-changing witnesses. And they really were. I mean, you have just weeks before this moment Peter denying Jesus. Everybody's scattering. Remember, only John and Mary were left in front of the cross. Everybody else was afraid. Like, that's where the disciples were just a few weeks ago, and now they're ready to start sharing the gospel with the world. Something big happened, and that is they were infused with power from the Holy Spirit. Something I wanted to share with you that I learned recently that I thought was really helpful in kind of comprehending how God wants our church to function and us to function as individuals. As we, you know, a lot of you know, some of our church leadership team, we went, we went to a retreat to get trained on how churches work, how the power of God spreads, and it was called Exponential. So one of the, one of the presenters at Exponential set up a graph on the screen that ever since he put it on the screen, I've been thinking about it. It's really helpful to understand the interplay between the power of God and then our church. Okay, so I wanted to share that graph with you and, and then maybe offer you a little bit of a prayer opportunity, a prayer request on behalf of the church leadership team and, and for all of us as a church family. Okay, so here's, here's the graph. There are three types of focus that Christians tend to step forward with as they think about their identity and their mission in the world and even in our church. Okay, and you'll, you'll be able to tell right away which one of these our church typically has been. Okay, the first is some people would focus heavily on the Word of God. 
Right? In fact, they might even name their church Bible Church, right? just to make sure everybody really knows that's the focus, right? Nothing wrong with that. The Word of God is our foundation, right? It's what we stand on. It defines the faith that we hold. And so some people, their focus is all about, like when they think about what they need to do in the world, they think about we need the Bible. We need more of God's truth, God's Word, going out, being taught, infused into people, past the next generation, you say, wow, amen to all of that. Hey, there are other people who would say, you know, they don't disagree with the Word of God, but in their heart, what's beating strong is the mission of God. They're thinking about all the people in the world who need love. They're thinking about all the brokenness and mess out there, all the unreached people groups on the other side of the planet. They're thinking about how do we get the mission accomplished. And so they're into action, right? They're into like, let's go out there and let's find people to share Jesus with say, wow, wouldn't it be neat if the Word of God people and the mission of God people got together? That would be, a, that would be pretty powerful. That'd be, that's kind of the right combo, right? That's what you need. You need both motivations at the center of what you're doing. But there's a third circle, the power of God. Some people in their Christian experience, and interestingly, we're reading about the day of Pentecost. A lot of times we would say these are Pentecostal churches, would focus heavily on the power of God. That is, they're saying, like, what is the Holy Spirit doing? We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to follow Him. We're expecting miracles to happen. We're expecting God to work in ways we don't perceive or we never plan for. And so the power of God animates some people to wake up in the morning and say, I don't know what God's going to do, but I can't wait to find out. And they're just off, like, almost looking for God's power at work. And so then you look at the diagram again. You say, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if all three of those circles came together and worked together, right? Because when you say all three of those circles have an important place in Christian experience, so then you go, well, wow, the book of Acts is actually a story of people who were living right in the center of this diagram. They, they were focused, and as we'll learn in the weeks ahead, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to studying God's Word, to learning how to apply it. We read that in letters of Paul, like they were... They were devoted to making sure they had the truth in their hands. They were also devoted to the mission. Like they were going out, they were finding people, they were visiting new places, they were even facing persecution because they were so loud and, and forceful with their communication of the gospel. But they were also, as they went, completely yielded to the Holy Spirit. And they got to see powerful demonstrations that were not explainable by human strategy or wow, that guy was a great preacher, look at the people that responded. No, it wasn't like that. It was the power of God was on display. Say, what would it mean for us to be a church that's right in the middle of that diagram? Where in our heartbeat, we're saying, wow, we are rock solid committed to the Bible, to what God's word and truth is. We are on mission for him. And we are expecting him to work powerfully and beyond our expectations. Uh, that's who we want to be. And in many ways, that's what I'm praying for myself as one of the leaders here. Say, Lord, how do I live in the middle of that? Like, it's kind of hard to say, hey, the church ought to do it if I don't know how to do it. So one of the reasons that as we talked as a staff team about even walking through the book of Acts is we really sense the need for this united dynamic in our church. Uh, what will it mean for us in the future to bring those three circles together and say, this is who we are and this is what we're about? And especially knowing that just in my own assessment, I would say we've been a very Word of God-focused church. 
we've been trending toward like, hey, let's get out on mission. Like that's been a big part of our narrative the last decade, right? Um, but we also want to look down and say, okay, Lord, we're expecting great things from you and it's not just going to be what's on our strategy for the year. Lord, what do you want to do? Okay, so that's the power of God at work, corporately and then very, very personally. So we're studying Acts for three reasons. Okay, one is our church needs the power of the Holy Spirit. I almost would say more than ever before, but I feel like that statement doesn't mean a whole lot because at every age and stage, no matter where you are in the world, in that moment, you need the power of the Holy Spirit or else what you're doing is just human. It's just the best you can do, which wouldn't be all that great. It wouldn't be divine. So we're saying, Lord, in this moment, for this generation, in our community, in our families, we need something supernatural to happen. It can't just be we study and we go home. And it can't just be we try to do a lot of good in the world and then go home. Lord, we need the supernatural element to come and empower the things that we're doing. Okay, the second reason we're studying Acts is we are preparing for a surge of outreach. Okay, those of you who are tuned into what we're all about as a church, what we're heading into, we're planning and preparing and even now starting a variety of ways to start reaching more people in more ways. And as we do that, we're going to run right up against the reality of the world we live in, which is there are needs everywhere that are beyond our ability to meet. And that's when we're going to look up to heaven and say, Lord, we need your power to do what we're doing here. Because our human effort, our human strength is not going to add up fast enough to meet the needs that you've placed before us. And then the third reason is God has called on you to take action with him. Not just about BCBC, it's not just about us together you personally have a mission that God has called you to, to take action. You personally uh, have the opportunity to see God's power work through you at your job, in your school, in your neighborhood, wherever you go. And, and when we open our hearts to that, God will fill us with his power. He, that's why the Bible emphasizes faith so much. You trust God. You believe God. You say, Lord, on the basis of that trust and belief... I'm going to start moving for you, but I need you to work. Okay, so this is our aim. This is what we're all about. It's not really just about this series, like we want to study this, it's going to be great, but it's actually about who we are as a church and where we're going in the future. So I wanted to invite you to pray with me about that. Um, I don't know of anything else that would be more important. I was thinking about what, you know, what Tom and Nancy were sharing a little bit ago, um, meeting what I'm sure if they had time to unpack it would be really difficult needs that people face in their sphere. Um, or you think about what Pat and Diane were saying, they're going to go help Ukrainian refugees. Or um, I think about the mission dinner that we're having this coming Friday where we're going to talk about what it takes to reach unreached areas of the world and really get strategic about how we complete the Great Commission in our generation. Like All of these things, from the, from the interpersonal things all the way up to the big strategic moves, all of that is going to require power from God that we'll never be able to manufacture without the Holy Spirit. So we say, Holy Spirit, would you work? Would you do something special? Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within me? So let's pray, let's ask for his help, um, and let's have faith that even maybe this week we'll start to see the power of God at work. Lord, thank you for giving us the book of Acts as an example to show us what it looks like when people are really filled with you. 
I pray that you would give each one of us a clear path in our heart for what it will take for us to say yes to your Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to us. Thank you for giving us this gift that allows us to multiply the movement that you began everywhere we go. I think about our neighbors across Berrien County, Cass County, this region, how many needs there are. Think about even in this room, families with great needs, with difficult situations. Think about the people in countries right now that are persecuted and that are closed to the gospel and still, even here in the 21st century, millions of people who've actually not heard about you yet. Lord, we want to move up to the front lines of what you're doing in this world. We don't want to just watch from the sidelines. We don't want to just read the history books. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this generation. Lord, help us as we're in a world that's very confused to be strong when it comes to, to being rooted in your word. Help our hearts to beat with your mission. And Lord, as we think about that third circle, I pray for your power that even this week we would start to see supernatural activity, supernatural result, fruit that could only come from you as we pray, as we trust you, and as we move forward in obedience, going where you call us to go, saying what you ask us to stay, giving what you tell us to give. Lord, in every category of our lives, we want to say yes to you. We look forward to seeing where you'll take us from here. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you. We'll see you next week for the next part of Acts.